Welcome to Stand Up Citizen. This will be a series of podcasts about what our founders expected of us and allow us to compare how we are behaving against what those who designed our republic anticipated and expected of us. Why this? Why now? Alarm bells are ringing. Norms that have been formed as the mortar to hold together our form of government that is a real miracle of history are eroding. Our young people are unschooled in the American system of checks and balances and the foundational ideas that informed our founders in their great work. We're losing touch with the keys to our freedom and the great edifice that sustains us calls for a, a new constitutional convention roused me from my uh, intellectual slumber. I also must credit the frontal assault by the current president. All around I hear disorder, noise, and not nearly enough pushback against the tearing at our body politic. Citizens display ragged ignorance of how our government of laws is designed to work the rules and norms so essential to over two centuries of success. Some are even asking, does our constitution work any longer and may perhaps be obsolete in our modern world? Well, as the great English statesman Edmund Burke told us, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. If our constitution isn't working as intended and our system is seeming to falter, I'm convinced it's due to operator error. With or without a convention, we need to stand up for our country. We need to pause and give regard to the system we enjoy or else we may risk great error. When something grand doesn't seem to be working as intended, do we discard it when it has worked for more than two centuries? No, we're humbled before its majesty and inquire as to its practical qualities, its original design and the influences behind it. So we first need to learn if and how we have strayed. Is it truly operator error? This project intends to remind us all of the essentials underlying our Republic. Along the way, these chapters may introduce for the first time principles of our Republic that education no longer provides. We all need to acknowledge and understand how extraordinary we are among nations. All of us, but not just slogans, but the principled foundations. Our Republic, a form of democracy where citizens elect government officials to govern, not to rule, is what we have inherited and must protect. Now, our constitutional system has allowed the United States to weather many crises and emerge intact, even stronger. Civil war, depression, world wars, orderly Western continental expansion, world leadership in crises, Cold War. All through this, we have had consistent orderly changes of leadership 
no coups d'etat or revised constitutions, and we have enjoyed unprecedented prosperity. Many of our citizens are only vaguely aware of the historical context that is necessary to really appreciate our success. Equally tragic, most know little of the world and its upheavals to allow them to compare the American experience to other nations. Empty slogans or absolutes are laid down in an intellectual vacuum. Our constitution has been amended only 17 times since the first Congress where the Bill of Rights were presented and passed. And all the while, we have created rules and norms to complement the founding document, that is the founding documents um, that have set us on their course. So how can one really judge whether America is the, quote, greatest country in the world, unquote, that we hear so often? How can we say that? How do we know that if, if we don't know anything about all the others? or even a few nations. So a little review might be in order. We fought a revolution to earn independence from Great Britain. John Adams said the actual revolution began before the fighting in the hearts and minds of the colonists who felt that they and their freedoms were being trampled on. It was after the revolution peaceful internally in all of the United States. 13 colonies became 13 states and founded uh, a continental nation. Only a few years later, only a few years after our revolution and two years after the French, after our constitution, the French Revolution occurred, which upended the monarchy, the aristocracy, and the clergy. But instead of a peaceful aftermath, as was enjoyed by the Americans, the revolution in France raged on and created the terror, the guillotine, a king's execution, as many as 200,000 citizens killed, some say more, and finally, a war against all other European nations. Napoleon Bonaparte rose to power out of the forces unleashed by the French Revolution. He applied his natural military genius to the nationalist vigor of the French people, supported by the superior wealth and advantages of the French nation. France defeated all comers, and for 15 years, France dominated Europe. Many people have never heard of this episode, which is contemporaneous with our early, early experience as a nation. Napoleon introduced new law codes and reorganized smaller German states after he had defeated Austria and Prussia the great power German states at the time. By now an emperor, he crowned himself. It took the combined might of all the great monarchical powers, including Britain, to finally bring him down. 
France is now in its fifth republic, that's five, not to mention at least two more kings and an emperor, Napoleon III, who was a pale imitation of his imperious cousin. Germany didn't even become a unified nation until 1871, formed by a combination of skillful diplomacy by Prussia and very successful armed force. Defeat of France in 1871, which led to the founding of the German Empire, the so-called Second Reich. Defeat by France in 1918. The rise of Adolf Hitler and National Socialism. German defeat and utter destruction in World War II. Partition and the strategic fulcrum of the Cold War of the next generation, then the economic miracle of recovery, and then partnership with its traditional rival, France. All of this change, upheaval, and some would say um, discord in a little more than 100 years. Let's take Russia. Russia was under the rule of the Romanov family for 300 years. An autocrat, which means an absolute ruler, the Russians are ruled by divine right, an enormous backward country that was feared by most nations of Western and Central Europe. When Russia entered World War I, fighting on the side of France and Britain, who were democracies, against Germany, Austria, and Turkey, the Russians endured terrible losses. The people suffered tremendously. This led in part to the revolutions of 1917, which finally brought the Bolshevik communists to power and took Russia out of the war entirely. The Bolsheviks murdered the Tsar and his family famous line from the Rolling Stones, Sympathy for the Devil. Once the Allies won, they sent troops to try and overthrow the Bolsheviks in the bloody Russian Civil War that lasted three years. The Bolsheviks prevailed, established a Soviet communist state that was brutally repressive. At first, an ally of Hitler's Germany the Soviets beat back the Nazi invasion of 1941 and were crucial to German defeat. The Soviets lost more than 20 million dead by most counts in that four-year period. Then the Cold War with the West occupied the world. Under the background noise of massive nuclear forces deployed by the U.S. and the Soviets. Let's look at China. Over the period of 1787, the year of our constitution, to the present, China went from the premier power in Asia to humiliation by European powers, the Taiping Rebellion in which 20 million are said to have perished, to defeat by the westernized Japan in the War of 1905. After nearly a century of upheaval, the revolution of 1911 brought down the 300-year-old Manchu dynasty 
and inaugurated a republic. Communist forces battled nationalist forces for control of the country in a long civil war, which was interrupted by Japanese conquest of China between 1931 and 1945. Mao Zedong's communist forces prevailed after the war and their political descendants have been in charge to this day. In the meantime, Chinese populations suffered greatly under collectivization policies, such as the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s. Of course, Great Britain is a notable exception to this review of history, being a 1,000-year-old monarchy with, for the most part, consistent orderly transition of government. Like us, however, they endured their own bloody civil war that was in the 17th century. Obviously, the cataclysms of World War I, World War II, and the Holocaust caused perhaps the greatest suffering of any comparable period in history. The point of these asides is not to give a brief inadequate overview of the past 230 years of world history. Rather, the contrast between the stability and continuity of political culture of the U.S. and virtually any other nation is striking. It must be understood so that we can have context to the claim that we have been so, so successful that any radical change begs the question, why mess with such singular success? And what alternative outcomes do we risk? This is not to denigrate other nations. Going back through history, any student will find similar events repeated and then repeated again. We're told history repeats itself, and that's generally true. But it also marches forward under the direction of we imperfect humans. Governing or ruling a nation or founding a nation is complicated. In any era, not just in our time of computers and rockets. Alexander Hamilton, one of our most important founding fathers, in defending the new constitution against the many opponents, which we'll hear more about in a future podcast, made this point about complexity in quoting the great Scottish philosopher David Hume. Quote, to balance a large state or society, whether a monarchy or republic, on general laws is a work of great difficulty that no human genius is able to affect it. The judgments of many must be united in the work. Experience must guide their labor. Time must bring it to perfection and correct the mistakes which they inevitably fall into, their first trials and experiments. That's in, contained in Federalist number 85, which we'll hear more about again in a future podcast. This perspective illustrates an important quality of the founding generation. Our founders were practical men and adopted a realistic view of human nature. Instead of a perfect document, they strove to create a workable document, 
that would adapt to unforeseeable future changes as time marched on. They understood history, the reasons for the failures of the great republics of Athens, Rome, and Florence, and they had all failed. Our founders' design included innovations intended to correct for what they perceived as reasons why these great, shining examples of republics had all failed. Certain principles were essential to the success of the United States and had to be considered in light of history. While it appears that they succeeded, the one great stain on the constitution of slavery had to be erased by the blood of 600,000 dead soldiers, but the Union survived and remained intact. So let's pause and reflect on the factors that our founders regarded as essential to American success. Well, then let's evaluate if we are following their advice and counsel as we should. If we find that we are coming up short on our duties as citizens, we should restate and comply with what Washington, Adams, Hamilton, Jefferson, Madison, and the other wise men who gave us this nation, the principles that set us on our course. Now, this is not mainly an essay on the Constitution, even though there will be references to it and to the Declaration of Independence. Instead, my goal is to identify the qualities and principles that should give vitality and direction to our country. The concept of citizen consent, civic virtue, and its counterpart, bad faith, the need for informed citizens, and courage, the secret of freedom, is what we intend to take up here. Only then can we measure our own time and highlight where we may be falling short. Only then can we frankly assess the health of our nation and the habits that may be eroding the great edifice our founders bequeath to us and that our parents and grandparents defended and preserved. As the rest of the world seems to be drifting toward hate and suspicion, political structures are under a lot of strain. The international institutions that the U.S. put in place after two terrible wars were being challenged. With no alternatives to put in their place, this risks a lot of potential difficulty. Well, if you study history, we've seen this picture before. The Concert of Europe, the League of Nations, which cracked and unleashed terrible consequences on Europe and our father's world. We owe it to our founders and to our children to restore the norms and patriotic commitments that make America great. Yes, uh, America is great and has been since well before America was a great power. The ideals and principles that guided our founders transcend time because they take into account human nature and the history of nations and of peoples. Most of all, we are built on a principled foundation of the rule of law and individual freedom balanced with responsibility. So next time, we take up those first principles that guided our founders derived from the Enlightenment 
and from the English tradition of common law. We'll go back and explore the influences of the great thinkers and writers who influenced our founders and who gave us the foundation for uh, the nation which we are lucky enough to be stewards of as stand-up citizens.